Hello and welcome to the Swinging Bunt Baseball Podcast. I'm Jake and this is Wes. Today we're going to break down the American League West. We're of course going to talk about the newest episode of the Clone Wars for my fellow nerds out there. We'll be That'll be at the end of the show. And then we'll also have our crazy stats, baseball stories, and where el- wherever else things lead us. So without further ado, this is the Swinging Bunt Podcast. Enjoy the show. How was your week? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, you know, busy, busy, busy with work, but uh, got to watch some baseball, so it's a good week. I've only been able to listen to a few games this week. I had a crazy week. My student teaching's really picking up, so I haven't been able to really watch anything. But uh, I did listen to a couple games on the computer because, of course, they're not actually on the radio anywhere. But that was good times. I was, I'm getting pretty angry at Jordan Garrison. He's able to watch games all the time down there in Arizona. Meanwhile, we're uh, yeah. yeah. He's been sending me pictures almost, almost daily of him at some kind of baseball game. It is what oh, it is, I guess. Man. Yeah. That's that's some sweet swing tra- spring training right there. I know, man. I've never been to spring training. I tell Rachel every year that someday we're gonna go, and she's like, "Yeah, you said that last year," and I was like, "Well, someday has yet to come." So. <laughs> so the Indians always spring training. They always have spring training in Arizona. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, Astros Down are always good year. Oh yeah. Um. Yep, I would love to go to Goodyear someday, but I'm sure it'll happen. I'm sure it'll happen. Oh, make yeah. it a, make it a vacation or something. Yeah. Well, I've been really excited to preview the AL West. I feel like this is probably, I mean, the most undecided division, or I don't know, maybe not most undecided. I still feel like the Astros are the heavy favorite, but I feel like. The American League West has a lot of unknown variables and a lot of changes compared to last year. There's a lot that we can see change for sure. Oh, oh yeah, I'm definitely with you there. I mean, the Rangers, new stadium, bringing in some a lot of talent. I mean, the Rangers are going to be a lot better, I think, this year. Mm-hmm. Oakland's going to be – Oakland's always coming in like, you know, are they going to be good? Are they not good? They ended up always near the end. They're – they're right there. They're close. So, they contend. Yeah, and then who knows about the Angels? I mean, Trout, Rendon, you know, they're... Otani. Yeah, Otani. It's... And then who knows about Upton and Joe Adele. There's so much mm-hmm. talent in the AL West. And then you got the Mariners, who, you know, they're... 
is fine. But a lot of offensive firepower in this division for sure. Remember the Mariners last year, how they started off, like, what, 19 games in a row with a home run? Yeah. That was crazy. Those guys were really swinging it. And then I just saw a stat earlier. uh, What was the huge guy? Vogelback? Dan Dan Vogelback? Yeah, Dan Vogelback. Uh, He was an all-star in the first half of the season. Second half of the season hit 162. (laughs) Oh, my word, man. That's crazy. But, I mean, we we knew it, though. I mean, there were people hitting home runs left and right that we were just like, what? This is impossible. This should not be happening. (laughs) Yeah, that was was throughout the whole league, and honestly, it never really stopped. I mean, it did for the Mariners, but not, not for the rest of the league. Yeah. I went, I went to uh, a game in Seattle last year. It was a really cool experience, but just watching them play. I went in the second half of the season, and just watching that team play was like, holy cow, this is bad. <laughs> this is really bad. And they were playing, oh, who were they playing? I don't even remember. That's Did they get beat or? Oh yeah, they close? lost. They lost by eight or nine, I think. I'll have to go I back. Surprised if it was the A's. No, it wasn't the A's because uh-huh. I would know because every, felt when I used to live in Texas, I felt like every game I went to was the A's. <laughs> um, no, it wasn't the A's. I'm trying to remember who it was. I'm pretty sure it was a National League team. Hmm. I, I'm sure I could figure it out. I could look if I wanted to, but that's not what this is about. I'll figure it out later after the show's over. But anyways, it was a cool experience, but the game was yikes. It was rough. But um, the only other team that I saw last year, which I, I saw a lot of games, the only other team that was worse and less recognizable was Miami. When I went to Miami last year, I'm not kidding, I carried a full conversation with uh, Christian Yelich in center field because I was whispering and he could hear me. There was me and maybe 15 other people there. Okay, I was kidding, but he did hear me. It was I mean, right. <laughs> I'm sure he heard you. It was no it, doubt about it. It was right after. Um, it was actually the game that he injured his knee, but oh. it was rough. But before that, we were talking about because the few days earlier his pictures and the body issue had come out. So I kept like yo. I was being really mature. I was like, hey, Christian, will you sign my body issue? Right, <laughs> right along the back of your leg here, please. He turned around and laughed, but that was all I got out of him. No sign. It's okay. And then he got hit in the I'll kneecap and was out for the season. But yeah. oh well. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? He wasn't laughing. Well, I wasn't either. focusing because yeah. uh, was that thinking about the body <laughs> issue. It's all my fault. I was at the game, too. So I've been to two Miami versus Brewers games. One in Milwaukee, and Giancarlo Stanton got hit in the face. And then one in Miami, and Yelich got hit in the knee. Both uh, season-ending injuries. Well, so. I'm glad whenever I went with you to an Astros game that none of the Astros players got hurt. So that That's was a true. positive. That's true. We saw so many home runs that day, too. That was a fun day, man. I'll never forget that day. All the rain running back to the car was nuts. Oh, my gosh. And we got to see home run number one for Jordan Alvarez. Yeah, that's true. So. Yeah, that was, that was a good day. But that was before we knew that they uh, were hitting using trash cans to hit all those home runs. So, mm. hey. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I try to keep those you comments know. to minimum, but when they come, it's like a fastball right down the middle, and I, someone hit a trash can and told me it was coming, so I had to swing. <laughs> we, we don't know. We, we don't know that it happened last year. We just mm-hmm. don't know. Mm-hmm. And Garrett Cole said 
they didn't have it. So that oh, you're right. Yes, sure. players yeah, never no. <laughs> never protect their team. That'd be nuts. Of course not. Of course not. Okay. It was funny. Um, I was arguing. Who was I arguing with? Uh, oh, I was arguing with Dan Steinbach, a buddy of mine who's also a Patriots fan, and he was saying how if we lose Tom Brady, that we should just give the reins over to Jared Stidham, who, in my opinion, looks terrible. And I was like, Dan, I don't know. I just haven't seen enough for him to trust him to be our new franchise quarterback. And he was like, I don't know, man. The defense has been saying that in practice and everything, he looks really, really good. He just had a couple rough outings in the games he played in. I was like, you know what? I'm convinced. Teammates talked good about their fellow player. Got me. I'm signed up. Ready to go. <laughs> but, oh well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the team says he's great. He's got to be great, right? Exactly, yeah. They said the same thing about Ryan Mallett. <laughs> and Tim Tebow. And <laughs> Tim Tebow's a great leader and a great quarterback, guys. I promise. He's going to lead us to the playoffs. <laughs> well, he did for the uh, Broncos. Anyways, back True. to baseball. So, Tim Tebow is our segue into baseball. Who thought we'd ever say that? Um, I have no idea what's actually happened with him. I know he was playing in AAA last year. Hmm, that's something to look up. Well, Wes, talk about well, I did. talk about the Rangers real quick while I do this. Okay, so yeah, do that. I know that he was last in a lot of categories, but anyways, on the <laughs> Rangers. Uh, so Rangers in for twenty twenty. Uh, looking at the catchers, they brought in Robinson Chirinos was a borderline All Star last year. Uh, didn't make it, but uh, just led led all catchers in RBIs last year. So they brought him back uh, from the Astros. We're gonna miss him. And uh, you know, first base they have Ronald Guzman. Second base, Rubnet Odor. Shortstop Elvis Andrews, the norm. They brought in Todd Frazier from the Mets last year. And then in the outfield will be a conglomeration of Willie Calhoun, Danny Santana, Joey Gallo. They're getting him back from that injury. Mm, I would then, love uh, to have me some Joey Gallo. Oh, man, that guy's – well, last year was his big breakout because he finally started hitting the ball and stopped hitting 200 and he started hitting 270, and he was an all-star. He was hitting 270, and, like, every, he had more home runs than singles, didn't he? Oh, yeah. That's yeah, crazy. which is like an analytic analytic darling. Oh, yeah. So, That's uh, absolutely you know, nice. they got They got some talent. Their, their lineup's not too scary. I know DeGallo is terrifying, but honestly, they're – Starting rotation is maybe arguably the best in the division. It, uh, it'll be interesting. It could go a lot of ways. Yeah, Before we get back to that, I want to mention. Now don't get me wrong. Tim Tebow's my boy, but he went from hitting two seventy three in Double A last year, which is where the best talent in the minors is, to last year in seven fewer games. He did have a season ended with an injury, but he hit one sixty three. <laughs> Yep, which was the lowest out of all players who had at least like 50 at bats, I think. Yeah, that's rough. 240 at bats. And then his OPS was the lowest in the league in AAA. His on base percentage was the lowest in AAA. And I'm pretty sure his slugging percentage was the lowest in AAA. So, I mean, it's not, not like. Not a good year. Yeah, it's like I want to make fun of the guy. He went from being the best, pop, arguably the best college football player of all time. Arguably. Yeah. To a playoff-winning quarterback in the NFL, and now he's playing minor league baseball and just struggling. So it's like I feel for the dude, 
I mean, he's got a lot going for him, so it's not like we have to feel bad for him or anything. But yeah. it's cool to see him trying to do something outside his comfort zone. But it is a bummer to see him struggling so hard because. Well, I mean, he, he he was to see him do okay in Double A. Like Double mm-hmm. A players are still like think of like the best college players you've ever seen on TV. Double mm-hmm. A players are most of them are the cream of the crop. So the, still really good. The best baseball players go straight from Double A to the majors, and they skip Triple A. Right. Triple A is like for the injured guys and the old guys, or the guys who aren't quite good enough to make the majors. They have to fill a roster spot. That's yeah. how, that's how I feel about it. That's yeah, your double A guys are your prospects, mm-hmm. and maybe if your team wants to get them, you know, fifty to seventy-five at bats in Triple A, or right. you know, two or three starts at Triple A, then bring them up. Sure, have but, them see a little bit more yeah. speed, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, all right, back to the Rangers now. A little thing: the Rangers are my second favorite team. Uh, I spent about eight or eight or nine years living in Arlington. Used to go to tons of Rangers games. Uh, my dad's side of the family, they're all Rangers fans. So we, we like the Rangers, and they're fun to root for. Cool team. They have a lot of cool traditions that they do there. Beautiful stadium. Brand new stadium now, though, with the uh, the roof overhead. Mostly, I think the dimensions are pretty much exactly the same, but it's just going to have a roof over it, more or less. Um, but it's a huge, it's a really big expense. And the city and all the fans were actually, I was, when I was down there for work last year, I was talking to a buddy of mine who lives there. He says the area was actually really angry about it. Their taxes went up to build the stadium, and they were mad about it because they loved the old stadium anyways. The only problem was it was really hot to play there and to, just to sit there. I mean, those center field bleachers, like, literally cooked you. Um, but And there was no escaping the sun. It was it was pretty rough. Um, oh, yeah. But to build the stadium and to finance it now, they want to keep people in the seats, and they were pretty bad the last few years. So adding someone like Corey Kluber, not trading away Mike Miner and Lance Lynn like they really could have last year because those guys pick, pitched really well last year. And they're both, I think they pitched above their true talent level. You know what I mean? Like I, I think they probably yeah. both had one of their best years of their career. Um, oh, with, without a doubt, Mike Miner did. Without yeah, and I just don't expect them to really replicate that. You know what I mean? Definitely. So with that being said, I feel like, if it weren't for their new stadium, the right thing for them to do would have been to trade away those guys. Um, but now they have uh, Sin Shu Chu as at the DH with Robinson Trinos catching, Ronald Guzman at first, who's not bad, don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah. Odor at second, Andrews at shortstop, one of the coolest guys in baseball. Todd Frazier at playing third, who didn't he? Yeah, he won the home run derby a few years ago, right, in Cincinnati. Years ago. Willie Calhoun, Danny Santana, and Joey Gallo. So, I mean, they've got offensive firepower, as the whole AL West does, but not quite to the standards that um, the Angels and the Astros have. Um, right, yeah. I would say, uh, you know, the Rangers are probably, if I had to rank them, honestly, they're probably like fourth in the division as far as offensive firepower. Yeah. But uh, because of that rotation, you know, if unless this is – all if Mike Miner and Lance Lynn can at least get close to that level last year, then this I, my my thing is I think the AL West will be decided based on their starting rotations because all like all five teams have great offenses. So if the starting rotations can hold, whichever starting rotation can hold up, I think is going to win the division. I think if Mike Miner and Lance Lynn can be sub four ERA guys, um. 
and pitch like 180 innings each. Corey Kluber, and Corey Kluber has to be an ace. I mean, really, he has to be, and pitch the whole season. If those three, if those things happen and their offense continues to hit, play well, they think they would. I think they have a good chance of being, if not a division winner, I think they have a good chance of being a wild card team. But that is a big step up from where they were last year. So I think it's a lot of ifs. I mean, Jose Leclerc has been so inconsistent as a closer too. So when you have an inconsistent bullpen, it's really hard to win those close games. I think there are going to be a lot of close games in the AL West. So we'll see what happens with they those also, guys. They also brought in Cody Allen. Uh, kind of being that setup guy. We'll see. We'll see about him. And, uh, you know, maybe if LeClerc, you know, stumbles a little bit, they stick him in their closer. But we'll see. I know that they like LeClerc a lot. Um, Cody Allen's on the Angels. Is he? Mm-hmm. Oh. Wait, let me check this. So did he get released by the Angels? Because he was on the Angels last uh, year. Oh, I, he believe, was, I believe he did. He yeah. was released by the Angels. And now yeah. he's a non-roster invitee to spring training for the Rangers. Mm-hmm. How far he has fallen. Holy cow. I mean, he yeah. was like the best pitcher in baseball, or best closer. Well, I should say the best. One of the best closers in baseball like three years ago, right? 2016. Yeah. Uh, let me see here. 2016, he had 32 saves. Uh, 2015, he had 34. So I guess I shouldn't say the best closer in baseball. But I'm pretty sure he was the ninth inning guy in the All-Star game one year. I think. I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find his numbers here. He had an ERA plus of 145 and 180 in 2016. That's really great. Can't beat that. Huh. So, but yeah, he has fallen. I mean, in 20, I'm trying to remember, 2018 or 2017, he was terrible for the Indians. Um, and then we had we got rid of him, sent him to the Angels. Angels have trade or have taken so many terrible pitchers for us. It's great. You know who we traded <laughs> to the Angels for? Uh, Mike Clevenger. No idea. Vinny Vinny Pistano. Never heard of him. He was a um, good relief pitcher for us, a setup guy or a late reliever, never a closer for like a year and a half, and then. The, we traded him for the Angels for Mike Clevenger when he was a prospect, and he had some injury issues, Clevenger did. And then now he's an ace. <laughs> we gave him pretty much nothing for it. Pistano's not in the league anymore, and it's like two years later. It's great. Yep. Once in I'm a while, surprised. nuts things like that happen, man. Uh, think about where the Angels would be right now if they had Clevenger. Holy cow. That'd be a That's good a good team. segue, though. Going yeah, right go ahead and move the to the Angels. Yeah. So, so uh, go ahead. You can say him. No, I go after you. All right, I'll go through the offense. You can go through the their pitching rotation. Sure, sure. So I'll start at first base. They got Albert Pujols on that monster, monster contract. Poor Angels. They would be so much better if they didn't have Pujols. They could have so much more money. Tommy Listella at second. Andrelton Simmons, uh, best defensive shortstop in baseball. It's hard to say, but it's true. Anthony Rendon, arguably the best third baseman in baseball. A total package. Uh, Justin Upton at left field, center field, Mike Trout, best player in baseball, maybe ever, and B.J. Goodwin in right. Is B.J. Goodwin right? Yeah, we'll see We'll see if uh, he holds or on Brian to that spot. I, I know that they'd like to have uh, Joe Adele. Dude, Joe Adele is great, and I would love to see him uh, move up. He also has had a pretty good spring so far if my 
memory serves me. I know I got a notification the other day where he had like his second home run of the game or of sp- spring training. So, I mean, who knows what spring training is? You can't really judge it very mo- much, but yeah, I mean, still, he'll he'll be in that spot soon. Eventually, let's just think that. I think that they might wait just to keep service time, which I think is so messed up. Um, yeah. but it's something that the that the teams do. I mean, they did it with Chris Bryant, and ever since then it seems like it's been something done more and more. But if you don't understand the concept, teams don't um, – I know you do, Wes. I'm explaining for the other plebeians out there. Uh, right, right. Teams will often not bring a player up from the minors until after a certain date, whatever that date is. I don't remember. I think it's just a couple weeks, isn't it, after the season starts? Yeah. And then that way they don't have to start that per- that player's contract time they get an extra year out of them. So by having someone come up two weeks after the season starts, they own that player on a rookie contract for an extra year. So they go another year without having to pay them a ton of money. Kind of messed up, but it helps teams keep players for longer time who don't have a ton of money, like the Indians, who are like, look, we train all these great players, these rookies, we get them to be all-stars, and then they instantly leave. Having a rule like this allows them to maybe have one extra year of this player near or at his peak so while it is frustrating for the players it's not like they're not going to make any money these guys make millions and millions and millions of dollars but it does help the teams out a little bit yeah the astros did the same thing to george springer Mm -hmm. carlos correa and then just recently jordan alvarez so very frustrating at first and jordan still won rookie of the year this year yep but you Uh, got you gotta um make smart business moves even if it means making your stars a little angry true true no doubt about it uh, going into the starting rotation for them, you know, they picked up a few guys that uh, kind of took some flyers on. We'll see. They, they could turn into something. They've been good in the past, but uh, recently they've kind of been scuffing, scuffling. So uh, you got Andrew Heaney is their number one so far. And number two, they have Griffin Canning, young prospect. And then two, two guys that they brought in uh, from other teams, Dylan Bundy, got some potential there from Baltimore. And then Julio Tehran. Uh, number four as their number four from the Braves, uh, longtime Brave, and then number five they have a, a host of guys. Out of the guys I see, I recognize Matt Andrees. I could see him potentially uh, taking that fifth spot. So what what do you know about this um, Griffin Canning? Not too much. Uh, I know that he's their number one pitching prospect in in the minors, and uh, but I I didn't think he was this close to being. Uh, majorly ready, and now that they're now they're saying he's their number two guy, so it's yeah. kind of surprising to me. I didn't think he was this close, so we'll see. He's younger than me. That's crazy. Wow, wow. And I don't think he pitched at all in the majors last year. So uh, he him. had he pitched. He went five and six last year. Played in eighteen oh. games. Started seventeen. Well, ninety innings pitched, ninety six strikeouts. Um, but he had a four point five eight ERA, so nothing, nothing great. Granted, playing yeah. in the AL West with great lineups. Um, I'm interested. I wonder why he. I've never really known much about him. I mean, I've heard of him, but Tehran is interesting. Yeah. Um, Tehran pitched a three point eight one last year. Uh, went ten and eleven pitching with Atlanta, who was a really good team. So he honestly should have been better. Um, but he still had 160 strikeouts, the decent whip at 1.3. So he's he's one of those players that's always been frustratingly inconsistent because he can have one great game and then give up nine runs the next. 
So if he can find some consistency, he could be solid for Los Angeles. Um, I and think Dil- you say the same thing for Dylan Bundy, too. Yeah, Dylan Bundy had an interesting year with uh, Baltimore last year, right? Yes. He's been with Baltimore his entire career. Um, oh, interesting. Looking at his numbers, he played a couple games with Baltimore in the Major League level in 2012. He didn't make it back to the majors until 2016. Wow. Huh. I think he might have had a Tommy John injury somewhere in there, too. Oh, uh, okay. But he went 7-14 and 14 last year. Um, granted, he's on Baltimore, so that doesn't really mean anything. But he... Where'd it go? I'm looking at the wrong thing. He had a 4.8 ERA. So that's something that you can more or less control. Um, only had 162 strikeouts and 161 innings pitched. So a little over 9 strikeouts per 9 innings. So... Uh, I think the Angels have a very mediocre starting rotation, if you ask me. I completely forgot they they're getting Shohei Otani back as well. So. Yes, and he um, will be in there. So that'll be now. Is know, we'll see. He is going to be starting this year, right? It's a starting pitcher. As far as I know, yes. Uh, they'll probably bring him along pretty slowly because he's coming back from Tommy John. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would say. With the month in the month into the season, he'll be go, he'll be at full go. I'm gonna Google this. Starting. When will Otani pitch again? I feel like I should know this. Yep, he will return to two way playing, and he'll be pitching in 2020. Yeah, I mean he was a heck of a hitter last year. Yeah, him, he was. So. He was great. Uh, DH last know, year. Now he DH'd after he did he get his Tommy John during the season, or did he get it after? He got ended. it before the season, so he was rehabbing his pitching that's arm right. yes, while he was yes, DH. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. because that's totally different. You're totally different tendon. So, right, right. Yeah. Now, if he was playing in the field, now that that, that would be an issue. Right, because he'd be throwing in from the outfield and everything. Yeah. Now, me and Micah Burdett are well versed with our throwing arms and problems after pitching, because. Usually we would pitch one game, and then the second game we'd Playing be in the, the outfield. outfield. <laughs> and then our arms would just be killing us on every single throw that we would throw into the infield. Yeah, yeah I could tell because it always went to the fence behind me. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm just kidding. All right, so that's enough about the Angels. I expect them to be a below 500 team, honestly, but they could be better. If, if their pitching staff surprises, they could be better. But I just see too many holes compared to the rest of the division. And the rest of the league, I don't see them being a 500 team. But they could surprise. Uh, they do have Rendon. They do have Trout. And they do have Adele. And they do have Otani. So with a, some st- stars like that, if other guys surprise, they really could uh, be a much better team than 500. But if I had to make a prediction, I would say below 500. I'm with the, yeah, they're, they're expecting a whole lot out of Bundy, Tehran, uh, Joey Otani because Andrew Heaney cannot stay healthy so I'm with you I think the rotations are going to be the key this year for the AL West and they don't have a good one alright let's talk about the Mariners so the Mariners have two of the brightest young players in baseball in Matt Chapman and Matt Olson um, they also have Athletics Mar- or did I say Angels I'm going to say Athletics you Sorry. said Mariners oh interesting yep anyways the Athletics have Matt Chapman and Matt Olson at first base and third base. Um, two great players. 
Uh, Chapman could be a Gold Glove third baseman and hit 50 home runs this year, which would be which would be insane. Uh, Matt Olson strikes out a ton, but he also hits a lot of homers. Um, and then they also had and, Marcus and Simeon too. Defense. Yeah, exactly. And Marcus Simeon um, was one of the best shortstops in baseball last year, and was a MVP contender. He didn't get a lot of votes, but he was a good. Uh, he was up there. And then yeah. they have a great defense, too, out in the outfield with uh, Laureano being their center fielder, maybe having the best arm in baseball as far as outfield goes. He had some crazy throws last year. Uh, Steven Piscotti in right. I always want to call him Scotty Piscotti, but his parents weren't intelligent, apparently. And then Mark Canna in left. Uh, I don't even know who this S. Murphy fella is. Catchers are so unknown these days. Sean, Sean Murphy. Murphy. Is he's one of the biggest catching prospects in the majors. I'm surprised you don't know this guy. Interesting. See, yeah, they got rid of uh, the only catchers uh, that really matter are catchers that can lay down a good sack bunt. Okay, so. well, well, this guy is one of the best defensive catchers in the league, hmm. and he's got some he's got some pop. Not a great average hitter, but uh, he's, they're they're saying because they traded they got rid of Lucroy last year, right? Because this guy is just a stud. Well, so. and Lucroy was terrible last year. Yeah, yeah, but and then so they were like, okay, Josh Fegley, we'll we'll give you, we'll try you and Murphy out, and Sean Murphy just completely stole the, the job from him. So he hit two ninety three last year in the minors, eleven yeah. homers, caught six stealing last year, allowed twenty four stolen bases, six out of thirty. That's uh, not not terrible. Not as good as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. But. I mean, it's not a third. That's kind of what you, that's kind of what I'm looking for. <laughs> Sorry, he's not a uh, uh, Jan Gomes over here. Yeah, Roberto Perez, zero pass balls, highest runners caught stealing percentage, best defensive catcher of the year. You know, it's funny about Roberto Perez. I always hated that guy, and then last year he hits like 20 homers and has zero pass balls in the season and the highest runners caught stealing percentage in in the American League. Only Yadier Molina had him by like a half percentage in the National League. Well, he was balling last he year. He did ball sure. last year. Hopefully he can keep it up this year. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so the A's, I always have trouble predicting the A's. I mean, so they have Mike Fires, uh, Sean Manea, Frankie Montas, how do you say Lazardo's first name? Is it just Jesus? Jesus, okay. I just say that I saw the J. I had to click on it first. Yep. And then they've also got um, uh, AJ, AJ Puck. Puck. So their starting rotation, I would say, is better than the Angels. But then again, we have Frankie Montas, who had the um, suspension last year after he was having a great season, two point six ERA. He was at a nine and two record, but then he got suspended for the remainder of the season for PEDs. Now. I never know with PEDs because you never know if it's, oh, did he have an injury and he took a a banned medicine to heal quicker or did he do something that made him actually perform at a higher level? You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, and I think I think with him, uh, he always had the stuff before, so I mm-hmm. kind of lean towards the injury uh, because if you, if you watched him before, which I did a lot because he's in our division, he always had great stuff. Uh, but but how put it, how long was he using that? You know what I mean. That's true. That's true. He might have just gotten tested. But exactly because uh, you know, it's, it's random a question. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's it's interesting and it's hard to know. 
Um, it's hard to know how much all that plays into things. I think that they do have a better starting pitching depth than the other than the Angels do. Um, definitely better than the Mariners. I'm s- yeah, than the Mariners. But I again, I don't expect them to be much more than a few games above 500. I think that's where I would put them if that high. Um, but I think they could, of course, they could go up, they could go down, but I would say 85 win season would be about what I would expect them to be right around. I really I really like these young pitchers. I love Manaya if he can stay healthy. Mm-hmm. If Montas can be where he was last year. Lazus and Puck, or I said Lazus, Lazardo Lizardo. and Puck, mm-hmm. they are... Uh, the Jesus Lazardo, better known as Lazus. <laughs> I love it. I like it. But uh, those guys are two of the best pitching prospects in baseball. Puck is six foot seven, looking like a long-haired Randy Johnson out there. Uh, sorry, Puck, to put those uh, expectations on you, but you know he's got the big arm, big left-handed arm. I mean, he's six seven. Randy Johnson was six ten. So have what you may there. And Lazardo is going to be even better than he is. So um, watch out for those two guys. They might not be there this year, but Later in the season, maybe they'll pick up. But I think, honestly, with the A's, they're always relying on their young guys, young guys to step up well, and turn into turn into all stars. Olsen, I, Chapman, uh, and then in the past, they've always had to rely on those young guys. So, well, I they're one of those teams a, too that doesn't have the financial strength that a lot of other teams do too. So they have to hope everything kind of comes together in the same year to really contend. And as Billy Bean once said, his stuff doesn't work in the playoffs. So even if they get there, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I think they'll be right up there with the Rangers and Astros really? there at the end, though. I mean, we'll see. I, like I, I said. I love their offense. I love I love their defense. Chapman, Loriano, I mean, Simeon's oh, gotten better there's, defensively. There's no doubt that I think they have the best uh, defense in the AL West, I would say. Well, I don't know. The Astros have got a good defense, too. But they do. Their their yeah. corners are good, and their center fielder is outstanding. So, I would say potentially, they have the the highest put. They have the highest ceiling out of all the star, all the pitching staffs in the AL, in the AL West. Puck and Lazardo hmm. have high high potential. Interesting. But they also have a very low floor. Montas, you don't know. Lazardo, Puck, they could, you know, they could be. It might be too soon for them. So. Manaya could get hurt. So they have a very, very low ceiling. Uh, low floor, I mean. We, a high, high ceiling. We almost forgot to mention one of the greatest statistical anomalies in baseball. Chris Davis. Who, Chris after his first two years in Milwaukee of hitting with a batting average of 279 and 11 homers and uh, 244 and 22 homers, the next four years of his career, he hit exactly... 247 batting average and hit 42 home runs, 43 home runs, 48 home runs, and what was the last one? Um, last year he had a down year. Didn't, didn't oh, and the first year he hit 27. Now last year he did have a down year. He went down 27 points in his batting average and hit 25 fewer home runs. But still, to go four years in a row hitting 247, that's pretty crazy to do exactly 247. That's a bummer. His career batting average, 244. But uh, he's one of those really short guys that hits really well. I mean, what is he? 
like five six or or no, she's not that short. I think oh. he's like five he's, nine. He's five eleven. Five eleven. What? Yeah, I can see it. I yeah. thought he was way shorter than that. He's if you see his like he he's built so funny because he's kind of he, he looks kind of skinny skinny but then you see his legs they're built like tree trunks he he looks so pro- five five eleven two oh three. Man, yeah. I just always thought he looked so much smaller than that. He does, honestly, but uh, it's because he's so skinny up top. But you see his legs, and they're like. And I mean, that is that is short for a DH who hits forty-four oh, yeah. home runs. But still, it's uh, taller than I thought he was. Well, I apologize for the insults there, Chris. But what are you gonna get? You spell your you spell the name Chris with a K. What do you expect? Yeah, yeah. What do you uh, what do you do on? Are we done with this? Oh, no, we still have the Mariners and the Astros, don't we? Mm-hmm. All right, let's do the Mariners really quick. Um, so the Mariners have honestly never been great. They've been good a few times, um, but they've generally been a team that is uh, really lacking in a lot of areas, and then once in a, once every few Years they'll have a really good team and perform well, and then they lose it in the playoffs. I mean, it's rough. We we hope for them to get good again someday, but it's just the way a cookie crumbles sometimes. They're one of the only teams left without a um, World Series, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah I mean, 116 wins way back there with A Rod and Griffey. Yeah, couldn't get it done. One of the greatest seasons of all time. Um, but we'll talk more about them later. They're actually involved with my. Uh, baseball story of the day. So okay. we'll talk about their team. Man, yeah, I, I mean, don't even I know so many of these guys. I feel ashamed. Yeah, real. I mean, if you're watching the Mariners, you need a reason to watch them. If you have to watch them, two guys to keep an, keep an eye on. Uh, first base, Evan White, uh, straight from double-A to the majors this season. They gave him a six-year, $24 million contract in November. Uh, so... He was kind of one of those, kind of like a Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, gave mm-hmm. the contract. Now you're going straight to the majors from Double A. So keep an eye on him. If you have to watch the Mariners, there's not many good players out Malik there. Malik Smith he's is really fast. Yeah, Malik Smith, he's another one you can watch. The other one I would say to watch is Kyle Lewis, uh, top prospect, like, I don't know, three or four, maybe five years ago. Maybe, well, top draft pick. He was drafted in 2016, and, uh, number 11 pick overall. Yeah. Small school guy, From but hashtag uh, Mercer. Some, yeah, Mercer's. Remember that big time power. Were you the? Oh, Wesley, you weren't there for that. Another baseball story. I'll tell you about this. Um, not to make you feel like an outsider, but my freshman year when we were on our spring trip, you know how we would go down to Tennessee and watch the March Madness tournament down there at the what was that camp called? Uh, you know what I'm talking about, though. Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not here giving free promos. Our advertisement costs money. If you yeah, want to, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we're down there at uh, that camp doing our baseball stuff, watching the um, watching the March Madness basketball tournament. And number two, Duke got upset by Mercer, and we all went nuts. And for that whole week, we were down there. We were like cheering Mercer on, like we were we were their uh, graduates or something. <laughs> it was hilarious. It was a good week. <laughs> Yeah, Duke, I'll, I'll never forget that week. What'd you say? I had Duke winning the championship that year. Yeah, your mistake. You should have picked Mercer like we did. 
I'm pretty sure one of us did, or like a couple of us did, because we always filled out a bracket when we went on those trips. And I think that's why we were all so excited. I don't remember, though. It was a good time. Yeah, Seattle. They got Kyle Seeger at third, who is one of, one of their best players. Tom Murphy catching. Ah, yikes. He hit 273 last year with 18 homers, so not as bad as one might think. Um, got Tom Murphy catching. Uh, J.P. Crawford is shortstop, right? Yep, J.P. Crawford. (sighs) Goodness. Shed Long Jr. Shed Long Jr. At second base. Who? Exactly. He's 24 years old from Birmingham, Alabama. He played, he had 150 at-bats last year. Man, I never watched any (laughs) Mariners games. Yeah, they are awful. (laughs) Um, Out in right field. I'll go ahead and say it. Jake Fraley. He had 40 at-bats last year. Hit 150. Solid player. <laughs> hey, sounds um, like a Jake. You don't need to say that stuff, Wes. You know, I have feelings. Sorry. I have feelings. Sorry, bro. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I hit like 200 junior year, so it's yeah, okay. I don't need to hear it. I don't need to hear it. Um, yeah, so with, with Mitch Hanniger's sidelines still uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, R.I.P. Mitch Hanniger, sorry. <laughs> uh, Jake Fraley will be in right field for the foreseeable future. Uh, then who they got here pitching? Marwin Gonzalez? Is that who that is? Ultimate utility player? Mar- Marco. Mar- Marco <laughs> Gonzalez. I know Wes. Uh, yeah. okay, Man, just, just he, he was a sub-4 ERA pitcher last year. I don't even want to be- spend any more time on these guys. I don't. I feel bad, but just honestly, like, there's nothing to talk about. These guys are terrible. Yeah. They might not be the worst team in the league, but they're not far from them. It. The Orioles, Tigers, and Royals are going to have a fun time seeing them get that first draft pick next year. Yeah. All right, moving on. We'll go to the Astros. I'll try to keep the trash puns and the bang puns out of there to the best of my ability. Um, you go ahead and just unload. Give us our Astros preview. All right, so at the catcher position, we have – uh, Martin Maldonado, who we picked up in a trade last year. We had him in our championship run. We're very happy to have him back. Uh, we also picked up a guy named Dustin Garneau. I don't expect him to make it. I expect Garrett Stubbs to grab the backup spot. Very excited about Stubbs. He's uh, one of the fastest catchers you'll ever see. Going to steal some bases. At first base, we still got our, our infield's pretty much locked in. Uh, Yuli Gurriel still at first. Altuve at second. Correa short. Bregman third. Uh, Ledmes Diaz will kind of be in their utility guy all around the infield. And then our outfield spot, uh, outfield positions, our two spots are locked in at Brantley and left. I know you like that, Jake. And George Springer in center. And then our right field, we kind of have our our only position battle of the year. We have Kyle Tucker versus Josh Reddick. I expect Reddick to win it out at least at the beginning and then Tucker to uh, platoon with him every now and then. Then, of course, we have our our young AL Rookie of the Year, Jordan Alvarez. Where would Alvarez uh, play if he had a spot in the field? He's going to play some outfield. that We tried to get him to play first base, but he was so bad, we could not play him in the infield. So he's going to play some left field here and there, and you know we'll see uh, if we had to put him somewhere. I hate so, seeing Michael was, Brantley. Good old Dr. Smooth out there in left field. I just see his face looking back at me, just wishing he was still an Indian. I wish you were an Indian then, too, Mike. 
He was my wife's favorite player, and then he had to go to Houston. Well, he did real good in that All-Star game. That was cool. That was a great day, man. We were out, When we were in Cleveland, I was at that All-Star game, and every time he came up to, to bat, it was like a standing ovation. Everyone was like cheering for him. Guy got two hits and an RBI. It was great. That was one of the greatest days of my life. Oh. I love that. And then, like, before the game, I went out to left field and was, like, taking home – BP home runs out there, and he was out there talking to like Lindor and all the old buddies from last year. Oh, it's such a great day, reminiscing, man. Just like old times. Just like old times. And then he left, and it was sad. Oh well. Yeah. Oh well, it is what it is. But I, uh, you just name those players, and it sounds like you're naming nine all stars. It's really, it's not fair to the rest of the league. Um, I still think they're, eh, they're easily, the, I would say, the favorite for the AL West, and I think the Yankees are the favorite for the entire American League, but the Astros are still a strong, strong contender, for sure. For sure, for sure. And I would say, uh, you know, depending on what kind of baseball we get this season, uh, you can kind of expect a, maybe a little regression from Yuli Gurriel. He hit 31 home runs last year after, after never hitting over 20. Hmm. So expect a little bit of regression there. I expect Correa. If Weird what trash healthy. cans will do for you. Yeah, sorry. I know, right? But, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Wes. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, so, it's going to be all year. I know, I know. Okay. So, we'll, we'll see if we'll see if Correa can stay healthy. Uh, he broke a rib last year because his wife was giving him a massage, and she broke oh. a rib. So thanks okay. a lot, honey. Anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, we got. I mean, minus the catcher position, every single one of our players could potentially compete for an all-star spot, which is pretty exciting, uh, lineup-wise. Rotation-wise, I mean, you still got Verlander, still got Cranky. Uh, bringing back Lance McCullers, uh, we'll see, coming off Tommy John. Uh, if he can get back to where he was before Tommy John surgery, he was an all-star before then. So, uh, very happy to get him back. And then our 4-5, four, 4 is most likely going to be Jose Urquidy. He was our... Uh, our, one of our young pitchers we brought up last year played, pitched really well, pitched, had a fantastic postseason. Uh, so he was really fantastic. And then our number five spot, we're just kind of leaving open right now. Maybe Josh James, maybe Austin Pruitt. Uh, Forrest Whitley is getting a look. but I wouldn't see, uh, be surprised to see you guys trade for another starting pitcher. I wouldn't be surprised either. Uh, I know Whitley is... Uh, we're kind of losing a little bit of faith in him, but uh, we're holding out a little bit of hope too. So I wouldn't be surprised, but I, I think we're so – we literally signed no one except for a backup catcher this year. Uh-huh. Like no one. So I think our owner is kind of at the point where he's like, you know what, let's 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 see if these young guys are worth anything now. So. I wonder why – this is something popped in my head. Why do you think, with right field being a big uh, position that's a battle for you right now, why wouldn't they sign Yasiel Puig to like a one or two year deal? Because he's well, still out there. We do like Josh Reddick still. He's a great uh, leader in the locker room for us. Mm-hmm. And then we have great hopes for uh, Kyle Tucker. But also, uh, George Springer and Carlos Correa are both free agents next year. Mm. So we want to lock George Springer up for sure. And then you know, we'll see about Correa. Uh, so. They expect Correa to move on, right? Isn't that the general consensus? 
that's the consensus because we we signed we gave Altuve and Bregman the big money, and then we're expecting to give Springer the big money. But in two years, Verlander comes off the books, Granky comes off the books, Reddit comes off the books next season. Should free uh, up some money for you guys. Brantley Brantley comes off the books next season. It's not so. like he's expensive. Yeah, no. And uh, Reddick's making thirteen, Brantley's making sixteen, so you know. Um. So can we, I think we may have conceded this in private text messages before, but back in the day we used to have vehement arguments about me, you, Adam, and Caleb. We would all argue about Lindor versus Correa, and it's been three, four years now. Can we agree that Lindor has proven to be the better shortstop? So far in their nope. respective careers? No question. Okay, thank you. No question. One yeah. point, Jake. Lindor is definitely the better <laughs> shortstop. I, I had high hopes for Correa. Uh, you know, he had the you know, six four, looked like he had some power potential, great average potential. Even was a better defender last year, but yeah, there's no question. Lindor is the you know, better better power speed defender. He's one of the best defensive shortstop in the league. Uh, no question. No Crazy qu- thing Lindor about Lindor sometimes is he'll make some of the most amazing plays that you just don't think anyone else can make, and then like he'll have some dumb error like on just a routine play, and I'm just like, ah, come on, because he has his error numbers have never been amazing, but his runs saved are crazy though. Yeah, I mean Correa made huge strides last year in his in his uh, defense last year. And he made a lot of he made some sports center plays. Mm-hmm. It makes me think if that was Lindor, would that would that have been a jump throw? But he does have a rocket for an arm, yeah, and he, uh, he makes up for his maybe a little slower than some shortstops with that rocket arm. Yeah, he's he's great. Don't get me wrong, Correa's great. I've got nothing against him. Um, although he hasn't handled this whole trash can thing very well, but it's a tough situation that they're in. I mean, granted, they put themselves in it, but still. Um, it is hard. It's hard to imagine how you handle that situation. He has been very vocal and kind of vehement in a when you're in a situation to not really talk like that. Mm-hmm. But his talent as a player it shouldn't be questioned. He's a great player, and um, I'm sure he's a great guy. But yeah, and but he can't stay. We we just need him to stay healthy. He only played 75 yeah. games last year, mm-hmm. and then the year before he was. You know, he was hurt a lot, so yeah, playing need injured. him to stay healthy, for yep. sure. It's a tough thing to do when you're a big guy playing shortstop. That's why I don't understand why he hasn't moved to third, but he wants to stay at short, so okay. Yeah. That's your thing. That's your thing. Um, But that's our AL West breakdown. If I had to pick it, tell me if you disagree. I'd go Astros, Rangers, Angels. Or I'm sorry, Astros, Rangers, A's, Angels, Mariners. Um, I could see the... Rangers um, and the A is switching. I could see the Rangers ending up as the four as well. I think those three teams in the middle could switch anyway, but I do think that that would be my most likely scenario. Yeah, I'm with you. I got uh, Astros, Rangers, Athletics, A's, and Mariners, Um, and I think you know the A's. The A's will be right there, but I do think the Rangers, if the if the pitching holds up, which I do think it will, with new stadium. Last year, y'all were telling me, remember last year we yeah, were saying, yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, the Rangers, like, I think they're going to be playoff contenders. I said, no, 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 this, this stadium, they, they wear down late in the season. Sure enough, they did. So uh, but so this year, new stadium, closed roof, air conditioning, woohoo. 
I see for them to uh, steal that second spot and get in the playoffs again. I still don't know how much the stadium had to do with it, but your results were correct, so I can't argue with the process. It's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah. um, anyways, that's our AL West breakdown. Uh, we're going to go into our little more fun things now, as if that weren't fun. That was great. That was great times. Oh, yeah. um, but Wes... Let I'll let you go ahead. Well, let's think about it. I've got a baseball story, and I've got an interesting stat. And since you already told me that your stat was against my boys, the Indians, then I had to go ahead and look up one uh, that was interesting of my own that was maybe a little bit uh, painful for you. Oh, no. <laughs> As I know it's been painful for you. It has also been painful for your Houston Astros so far this spring training season. They have been hit by pitches. Seven times in five games. Now, this is only updated as of February 27th, so I didn't take the time to look and see how many more times they've been hit since that day. I don't even know if they've had more games since then, as that was, what, Thursday, I think? Yeah, it was Thursday. So I'm sure they've had more games and very well could have been hit more times. And granted, some of these players haven't been, weren't even on the 2017 team. Some of these guys have never even played on the Astros in a major league game. But still, they've been hit seven times in five games. When applying that rate um, or that ratio, as I'm teaching to my seventh graders, when you apply that ratio to a 162-game season, they are on track to be hit 227 times by the opposing team, breaking yep, breaking the record of 103 that was that happened from the 2008 Cleveland Indians. That is an American League record. The National League record was like 120-something from some team in 1898, I think it was St. Louis. So, But in modern baseball, it'll break the Indians record in 2008. So, Wesley, I would love to see that record be shattered like that. 227 hit-by-pitches. You guys will have a very high on-base percentage if that does happen. <laughs> well, you know, I was, ex- I was happy to hear you say seven hit-by-pitches in five games because... Uh, I knew in like three games we've been hit six times, so I was like, <laughs> "So it's gone down. <laughs> we're not gonna make it through the season." But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I know Bregman's been hit. He's might have been hit even twice. Uh, so I expect him to, you know, make sure you bring your a lot of padding. You know, you're gonna for, see uh, the whole team have that left elbow guard and left shin. They're gonna look like Domingo Ayala. When he when he's uh, up at the plate, remember that old YouTube video where oh, he had yeah, all oh, the yeah. gear on at the plate. <laughs> well, like Altuve already wears a ton of gear on him. So They're gonna walk up wearing a chest like protector a... and shin guards and catcher's mask. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I have no doubt they're gonna get a uh, they're gonna get punished by some pitchers, and we're gonna be like, oh, thank you. I imagine that after a month or maybe even just a week or two into the season, if the numbers are high there's going to be a memorandum that goes out to the league about intentionally hitting players. I guarantee it. Or it may happen before the season even starts. I want to see uh, someone charge the mound. And, you know, I want to see some... I want to see everyone be afraid of the Astros after, you know, make them stop hitting players. Now, I don't we know, get whooped. I feel like for the most... That fight, I feel like know. for the most part, the Astros players have, like, just accepted that this is kind of going to happen. Uh, at least for the short term, because as far as I can see, the guys have just like gotten hit and ran down to first base and just taken it. And I don't think they've really been hit with any heaters. For the, the ones that I've seen, for the most part, are like curve balls, and they're probably majority unintentional. Um, sure. But it is fun to talk about and act like they're going to get hit 227 times. 
Yeah, I don't see 227, <laughs> but uh, I could definitely see a new record. To be fair, five games is a fairly small sample size. So what do you got for me, Wes? Go ahead. Give me what you got. All right. So since, you know, it's the AL West and, you know, we got my Astros who are, you know, cheaters. So uh, I was looking up some cheaters, some notorious baseball cheaters. And uh, when I came across this story, it caught my eye, not because it was, the, well, partially because it was Indians, but this one was just too good to let go. So uh, 1994, July 15th. The Indians are playing the White Sox, and the White Sox manager at the time, Gene Lamont, was tipped off that uh, one of the meanest players in baseball, Albert Bell's baseball bat, was corked. Uh, so the skipper challenged the bat, and after a few days, uh, there was an x-ray that came back that found out that Bell's bat was corked, as were all of his bats. But funny thing about this uh, one of Albert Bell's teammates, a pitcher by the name of Jason Grimsley, crawled. So this is after they took his bat back to the umpire. I'm, so, I'm honestly so glad you're telling the story. It's one of the great legendary stories of Cleveland baseball. <laughs> we tell it to our oh, children. Oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. see, I saw it and I was like, oh, I have to tell this. So <laughs> Jason Grimsley crawled through the bowels of the stadium until he reached the umpire's room, at which point he swapped Albert Bell's cork bat with Paul Sorrento's. He couldn't put one of Bell's other bats in there because they were all corked. So while Grimsley thought his mission was initially successful, uh, little did he know Paul Sorrento's bat had Paul Sorrento's name on it. Sorrento. So the umpires, they knew right away that it wasn't Bell's bat, got all the other bats that Bell had, and uh, it was turned over to the MLB. And uh, it was under the threat of FBI involvement. And so they turned it over. So, yeah, Jason Grimsley and Albert Bell. Yeah. Who knew? Uh, those were the glory days <laughs> of the Cleveland oh, Indians Albert, smashers, man. Albert Bell was given a 10-game suspension. <laughs> Crazy how much baseball changed. You do that this year, you're out oh, yeah. for 81 games minimum. Oh, definitely, definitely. But I, I was thinking, like, Albert Bell's hated across baseball. Like, Dude. I wonder if he, like, threatened Grimsley's family and was like, hey, if you don't do this, I'll kill your family or something Very like well that. could have been. The guy was a monster. Yeah. But, uh... Not very like... But, yeah, that's my story. So. Okay, fine. Fine, Wes. We'll deal with it. It's not really a stat, but okay. Hey, I like this. <laughs> no, it is, it, is, it is a great story. Um, and the Indians went on to have a great um, decade, even after 94. 95 and 97 went to the World Series and lost in Game 7 in both of them. It's beautiful. beautiful. Hey, if that's what happens with the Astros, you know, we get a World Series this year and two years later get another one, I'm good. Losing them? Losing a World Series is so uh, painful. I would rather win it, but, you know. We lost both of them. Because uh, of Frank Catalanato in... Was Frank Catalanato 95 or 97? I don't remember. Anyways... It's terrible. Mar- uh, Marlins and the Braves. I was a child. I don't remember. But still, it's sad. I'm sure James would be happy about that. <laughs> yeah, he he's rubbed it in multiple times. That is what it is. Oh, yes. It's sorry for the... I know we have many James fans out there. He's at work today, working with the, with the children. Um. Anyways, moving on. So I've got a little baseball story. So we were talking about the Mariners today and how terrible they are. Mentioned their 116-win season. 
Um, I wanted to bring up one of the greatest moments in baseball history. Definitely the greatest moment in Seattle baseball history. Um, and if you listen to our show, last year our intro song and this year's outro song is My Oh My. And it tells the story of what's called the double or known as maybe the hit, the run, whatever you may call it. One of the greatest moments in baseball history, one of the greatest calls in baseball history. Uh, we have the team of 1995 Seattle Mariners, who the story and the background to all of this story is really cool. During that year, there was a lot of rumor and speculation about the Houston Astros being sold and moved on to another team because in their entire franchise history, they had only had two above 500 seasons. And the rest of their entire franchise history, which was a young team still, had never had a... You mean, you mean, the, Mar- you mean the Mariners? What right? did I say? So the Astros. The Astros. Definitely the Mariners. I apologize to everyone. We're talking about the Seattle Mariners here. The 1995 Seattle Mariners having people like Joey Cora, Randy Johnson, um, Ken Griffey Jr., Edgar Martinez, some of the greatest players to ever play the game of baseball, all on this one team in 1995. Now, they were, like I said, terrible for many, many years, but now they were starting to be okay. In 1995, though, they were, at one point in August, 13 games behind out of first place. And during that season, they climbed back to get to a tie at the end of the season. They had a playoff against the then California Angels. Now, one thing to mention that I thought was really cool as I was reading about the story is that in, I think it was 92, yeah, in 92, the team was sold to a group called... Uh, the Baseball Club of Seattle, that was led by the president of Nintendo, the video game company. So I thought that was really interesting. Uh, Hiroshi Yama, Yamauchi, or Yamauchi? Y- Yamauchi, I think is his name. But I, I was reading his name, and I was like, I know that name. How do I know that? And sure enough, I looked it up, and he's the one that turned Nintendo into being the amazing video game company that it was. Um, but anyways, that was a little thing. So they're 13 games out of first place in August, meaning they really only have a portion of August and then September to catch up the Angles, or Angles, the Angels, and they they really did. They came back and brought it to a tie uh, division, uh, tie for the division lead at the end of September, and they had to play a tiebreaker game, which the Mariners won nine to one. So then the ALDS, they're playing the Yankees in a best-of-five series and quickly lost to go down 2 to nothing, And they won the next two games to force a game, fi- a game five in Seattle at what was then called the Kingdome. So the Yankees took a 4-2 to two lead in the sixth inning, and in the eighth inning they tied it up. And then in the ninth went to extra innings. So they played two more innings, and they're in the 11th inning, and they go down 6-4, to 6-5. Their 11th inning, it's 6-5, to five, right? Um, and they had brought in Randy Johnson in extra innings, and that's who had given up the run to go up 6-5. to um, Now, some cr- players that were and people that were in this game, Don Mattingly was um, Don Mattingly was a player for this team. Buck Showalter was the manager. Uh, what else is there? I'm trying to see some crazy other things that were in here. Why did, where did it go? I saw this on here. Oh, here it is. Okay, so the game was Duck, Buck Showalter's <laughs> Duck Showalter. The game was Buck Showalter's last game as Yankees manager, Don Mattingly's last game as a player because he retired right after that, 
And then the Yankees also acquired the Mariners' first baseman, Tino Martinez, who then the next year went to be in their World Series winning team under their new manager, then Joe Torre. So that year was a, a crazy year that led into a lot of whole new things, and that game was the last for a lot of players that were involved and coaches. So I thought that was interesting, a little connection off-field. But anyways, to get to the play. So the runners, a runner on first base off of a drag bunt. Ken Griffey hits a single, moves him to third, and now Joey Cora was with the drag bunt. He moves to third. Now Ken Griffey's on first base, and Edgar Martinez is up to the bat in the 11th inning, and this is what happened. And the 0-1 pitch on the way to Edgar Martinez. Swung on the line, down the left field line for a base hit. Here comes Joey. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My, oh, my. So, so, Wes, you probably couldn't hear that. But for our listeners, I was playing uh, the call for that, for that uh, amazing moment when Edgar Martinez hit the double that brought in Ken Griffey Jr. and Joey Cora to go to the American League Championship Series, where they would eventually lose to the Cleveland Indians. But still, it was an amazing moment in 1995 that kept Seattle, the Seattle Mariners, in Seattle as the team then or the city then agreed they wanted to keep the team in Seattle, and they got behind the team again as that city really had no fans, and Seattle baseball was reborn after that play and after that amazing comeback season. Uh, so it's really the play that has been described as the play that, dis- that saved Seattle baseball. And I'm glad it did. T-Mobile Stadium, I went there this year, was one of the coolest stadiums I've ever been to. I came from walking downtown and was looking for the stadium, and here I am all of a sudden, I was in an alley, and I was like, I think this is a baseball stadium right next to me, and I saw like this little old gatekeeper lady who like looked like something out of a fantasy movie, like I needed to hand her two gold coins to get in or something, and she's like, this is the third base gate, sonny, I was like, where, where is everybody, she's like, oh, you're, you're here early, come on in, I was like, oh, this is pretty sketchy, but okay, if you say so, <laughs> but I went in, and it was a really cool stadium, a really cool experience, I'm really glad Seattle baseball has stayed in there, um, yeah, their fans are down again, but I think it's a city that needs to keep baseball, it has some of the greatest history um, for even a young team like they are, but it was a really cool moment for all of baseball, and uh, something that I think people should know about. So, uh, Ken Griffey, A-Rod, I mean, Randy Johnson, Joey Core, these guys are Hall of Famers, if not uh, some of the best players of our lifetime, for sure. So, a cool story. I enjoyed it. Hope you did, too. Um, did you know all that, Wes? I'm sure you did. Yeah, a little bit. Um, some of that was new stuff. Like, I didn't know Tino Martinez got traded right mm-hmm. there. So, mm-hmm. uh, he was one of, I had a, uh, like a, uh, holograph Tino Martinez baseball card back in the day. I was so proud of. So. Oh really? Pretty, pretty cool. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh awesome. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Pretty cool stats in there. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty amazing what that team did to come back from such a deficit. Uh, not only in the division standings, but to also come back from a 2-0 deficit in the division series, and then to come back again in the 11th inning to win the game. Um, but then they came up against the juggernaut. Indians with the aforementioned Albert Bell and uh, who then end up losing the World Series. So, 
Anyways, it's a really cool story. I thought I would tell it. It gives you guys a little bit of meaning to our outro song that you're about to hear in about 30 seconds. So thank you for listening. I know the show was a little longer today, um, but we love baseball, and we love talking about it, so we hope you enjoyed listening to it. We'll catch you next time if you want to stick around and listen to our quick Clone Wars discussion. Right after my oh my, we will be discussing that, so stick around. And thanks for listening. Dad in the garage, the sawdust, that pine saw in the moss around every spring. When the winter thaw, we'd huddle around the radio, twist the broken knob. 7 10 a.m., no KJR. Dave Lee House, his voice would echo throughout the yard. Couldn't have been older than 10, but to me and my friends, the voice on the other end might as well have been God's. 1995, the division series, Eggers up to bat, bottom of the 11th inning. Got the whole town listening, swung on and belted. The words distorted, Joy Corps. Round third, here comes Griffey, the throw to the place, not in time, my oh my, the Mariners win it, yes, fireworks, they lit up that ceiling in the King Dome, we had just made history. All right, folks, thank you. It is time to talk about the Clone Wars. Wesley and I have watched the Season 7, Episode 2, which I think was called A Distant Echo, if I remember correctly. Um, It was a sequel to, or the second episode in the arc about this bad batch of clones and Rex working together to try to figure out why the droids are predicting each and every of their moves in this struggle that they're having on this planet of an axis so we left the last episode the two got or the clones had discovered that there was a live signal being sent from another planet called something minor i don't remember what it was called being sent from another planet though that was repeating over and over again the call sign of echo which was ct14 something something i don't remember but rex was convinced that his friend echo Uh, who was a main character in the earlier seasons of the Clone Wars, was still alive. Now, he was one of my favorite characters, him and Fives, who were the ARC troopers, right? Uh, Oh, yeah. And he had died in the Citadel episodes, which is where they had gone to rescue uh, Jedi and Grand Moff Tarkin to save some plans about, or save some coordinates about certain hyperspace lanes, whatever the uh, thing was they were chasing. But anyways... Echo died during that mission, or at least so everyone believed. So Rex then uh, still has hope that he's alive and being used to to transmit this data about all the b- battle plans that him and Echo had discussed in years past. And everyone doubts him. Um, Anakin kind of sticks by his side and allows him to go on this mission to try to figure out if it's true. But everyone else the whole time is discussing, saying, look, you need to let go of your personal feelings and just look at this as a military perspective and understand that your friend might be dead and probably is dead i thought that was a really a cool 
idea, a cool emotion to explore in a clone, right? Because Rex is a clone. He sees his other yeah. clones die every day. But they're really starting to get into the more deeper themes that would resonate in a war of having human beings who are grown and bred to fight and die and follow orders to the T. They're really slaves that are bred to die, right? And the yeah. show is starting to really get into that, and I find it to be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, th this had so much stuff in it that was like, like tidbits, the stuff that was like so deep in so many different ways. But mm -hmm. yeah, with uh, you, you could you could really see Rex's, uh, you know, the conflict inside of him where he's struggling. Like, man, like these guys, they don't care as much as I do about Echo. Echo's my brother. I gotta, I I have to go save him and. Said no one else has that kind of sense of urgency that he has. Right, because really, there's millions really of clones, right? Yeah. Millions of clones, and they die every day. And what's one more, and why would you assume he's still alive? What would they? Ha what reason would they have to keep him alive? You saw him blow up. Uh, why are we worrying about this one clone when there's literally have been five million that have been made since him? Um, so it's a very interesting concept, and I think it's something that's really been built up over the years of this show, you see it throughout, even from season one, when Rex comes across the clone that deserted and started the family, right? Uh, that's kind of where he first starts questioning his role in this war. That I, I mean, you take a step back and look at the Clone Wars, and it's really all a waste because the Emperor is on both sides, right? He's in charge of the Clone Army, and he's in charge of the Separatist Army. And the only reason he has them fighting is to create a situation to where he comes in, takes control, and appears to be a hero to the the public, right? As he appears to stop this war that's been tearing everyone apart. That's the only reason this war exists. So literally, all of these deaths, they're fighting against the same person that they're fighting for. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you think about when you think about those things that are happening during the Clone Wars, it puts a little bit of perspective on how you have these clones, right? that are just literally dying. They're being born, being trained extensively for 10 years, and dying for no reason. Yeah, I know it's a cartoon, but it's a really cool story that there's nothing really ever been told like this before. Right, yeah, and, you know, aside from, you know, the Bad Batch was super goofy, but, uh, you know, except for, like, the leader, Hunter, he seems kind of he seems kind of cool. I would like to see, you know, I could see him like, as a spinoff, like, as a... Uh, maybe a guy who uh, comes back from war. And, oh wait, that's just Rambo. Never mind. Uh, so, anyways, uh, yeah, the Bad but, Batch. It's it's childish, right? And their characteristics are, but it is still an yeah. animated show. And something being childish, we can't be like, come on, this is for adults. Let's get it together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, that's that's for the kids. That's fine. But uh, you know, there's really some some deep stuff in there, and I really I really like the that aspect of it. And uh, uh, but uh, what, go ahead. What, what did you think? Of, what did you think of the, the new droids? They were weird, man. Um, I I'm not sure what the purpose of it was. So like, I know that this was some kind of lab, um, and it was like a secret facility and everything. But I don't know what the purpose was of having them create these super skinny like. Uh, brand new droids that we've never seen in Star Wars before. I'm not like opposed to it and like angry but i just wonder what the reason is like were they multi-purpose or something or were they supposed to be harder to hit because they're so thin i have no idea 
why they the creators felt like you know what let's make some new droids and make them super like daddy long legs droids you know what i mean yeah it's like kind of weird super agile but yeah. then they had the two guns like a super battle droid so it's like you know make up your mind what do we got here yeah, <laughs> it, what, what the heck kind of droid is this it was very weird um it was cool to see them all work together to destroy it, some cool combat scenes again uh seeing anakin and rex and all them fight together it was cool to see Echo was indeed still alive. Uh, I w- I'm hoping that they're able to like restore his mind. But my guess is that Rex is all gung ho about him getting, um, about him getting the help that he needs to be restored. But I've got a feeling that the Kaminoans or the Republic are going to just order him to be killed. Right? Just I told you. Yeah. I told you. And I think that that's going to be what has Rex, once him and Ahsoka are alone on uh, Mandalore later in this season, I think that that's going to be what causes them both to break apart from the Republic again. Because we know Ahsoka's already broken off from the Jedi Order, and she comes back to help with a certain mission for some reason, which we will find out later. And we know that Rex later, if you haven't watched Rebels, close your ears, but we know that Rex is in Rebels, and uh, so that means that he must that. And they also he also explains that at some point he takes out his inhibitor chip, right? Which is the thing that causes them to execute Order sixty six and kill all the clones. So that means that this has to happen during this season because we know this show leads into Episode three. So I would imagine that we're going to see Rex and remove his inhibitor chip, and I think it's going to be because he's going to believe Fives, and he's going to be, once he sees how they treat Echo. He's going to understand that the Republic is corrupt and not worth serving. And I think he's going to break off from uh, the Republic because of those things. That's where I think this is leading. Does that make sense to you? Definitely, definitely. Uh, I, I definitely think that we'll see maybe like at a, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see him at, you know, a crossroads. Do, mm-hmm. I, do I go this way with Ahsoka or do I stay, do I stay loyal to you know the cause, and I think and Anakin, know, he has a strong relationship with Anakin too. Definitely, definitely. Which I thought was kind of interesting that you know Anakin's kind of doing this junior high uh, behind the, you know, w- watch guard while I while I go in here and talk to my girlfriend. Yeah, or wife. his like, wife. I yeah, that was that yeah, but interesting to see. It is it is uh, interesting because he has that secret relationship with Padme. Now it's not as secret as we thought it was. That was I thought that was very interesting that Obi Wan knows you know what I mean. Yeah, he's like he's like at least did you did you tell Padme hi at least it's like whoa yeah whoa, that was like a here? that was like a little bomb dropped right in the Clone Wars that like kind of matters for Star Wars you know what I mean. Yeah, like he played that off way too well. I would have been like jaw drop. Oh my gosh. But I don't think like Obi Wan was guessing you know what I mean like he knew. Oh no, yeah that wasn't like a. That wasn't like a guess. That was a that was a for sure. Like okay, here we so go again. That means a lot for Star Wars lore because in Revenge of the Sith, when Obi Wan says to Padme, "The child is or Anakin is the father, isn't he?" Right. That's right at the end of Revenge of the Sith. I had always assumed that like that's when he figured it out. You know what I mean? Same. same. Um, but now, I, I, yeah, I was kind of in the fact like maybe Obi Wan's just completely oblivious to this somehow. Yeah. But uh, now, yeah. But now, I mean, this is all canon, meaning that this is all Star Wars fact, right? Um, so Obi Wan knows 
that him and Padme are together, it just shows how strong the relationship for Obi-Wan and Anakin is, right? Because Obi-Wan's always wanted to follow the regulations of the Jedi and do the bidding of the um, and to do the bidding of the council, but now we see that that's just not the case anymore. Uh, he's willing to let Anakin break the rules of the Jedi because he's close to him. And it makes you wonder a little bit. Uh, I forget her name, but from Mandalore, whenever Obi Wan, yeah, is Obi Wan feeling a little bit of, uh, you know, is he kind of feeling for Anakin? Like maybe I, I'll just let this one slide because well, that's kind of how I felt. And Obi Wan said, uh, "Me and Rachel are watching through the Clone Wars now. I'm trying to catch her up." He said to Satine, "If you would have said the word, I would have left the Jedi Order." Right. Yeah. Uh, so maybe he understands where Anakin is and knows that the Jedi life just isn't for Anakin, right? He can't handle it. And maybe he's thinking after this war, maybe Anakin leaves the Jedi Order and goes and is off with Padme, right? I mean, imagine that would have been great, right? But Anakin's lust for power, of course, and fear of losing someone he cared about just couldn't allow him to do that. Yeah, yeah, we had a lot of a lot of deep stuff happen in this episode. I loved it. I know it, it's interesting because honestly, I didn't feel like it was that great of an episode. Um, I felt like last last week's was more interesting, and there have definitely been better in, stories with or episodes with better stories. But there are a For lot sure. of really interesting things that happened in it that make you think about the bigger picture. You know what I mean? I think that's why I liked it because uh, yeah. they had a lot of big picture. Like you had to look back and think about it, and then you're like, "Wow, that's really cool." But I. Yeah, as far as you know, I'm not sure if I like the Bad Batch very much. They're especially the the big one. He's he's just goofy, but yeah, um, you know, there was a lot of de- there was a lot of you know, uh, episode three. There were a lot of Easter eggs in there. Like, definitely. Yeah. Oh, uh, so we have two more episodes of the Bad Batch. Uh, I don't know what more they're gonna milk out of it. I imagine one more episode probably will be about them escaping this planet because they have the droid forces surrounding them now. And then I imagine the second one will probably be dealing about trying to rehabilitate Echo. Uh, but I guess we don't need to get ahead of ourselves. This is just what I expect to happen. Um, yeah. But it's interesting. And I'm excited to see what happens next. Um, but yeah, I think that's all I've got for this episode, right? Anything else we missed? Uh, not that I can think of. Um, nope. I do not enjoy seeing Echo in the mental state he's in. But hopefully... He'll get rehabilitated, but I highly doubt it. He's gonna die. I was kind of expecting to see him like more Palpatine. Uh, yeah, I didn't expect him to be so alive. Yeah. I was expecting to see him like his body and parts, or maybe just his head. So it was. He was like fully intact. Like, dude, you were on yeah. that ship when it exploded. Granted, arc trooper armor is supposed to be thicker than the other stuff, but still. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was surprised to see him like intact. So, that Bactus you know. does crazy. Back to does crazy things, man. Yeah. So okay, it's like yeah, that's cool. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Hey, it's yeah. it's believable. We'll let it slide. Yeah. We're talking about science fiction here. Yeah. All right, Wes. Well, until next week, uh, when there's another episode this Friday, and there's more baseball. Of course, we're getting closer and closer to the season. Next week, we'll get into National League. Hopefully, Toby will finally get on, and James. We need those guys. I know. I know very little about the National League, so we need those guys. All right, oh, Wes. Yeah. Well, I'll catch you later. Have a good week, man. All right, you too. Bye. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. This has been the Swinging Bump Podcast and, of course, our little bit of Clone Wars talk. Uh, We will catch you next week, and thank you for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed it. Talk to you later. Bye.